0: Section 12 of On Benefits. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Olivia. On Benefits by Seneca. Translated by Aubrey Stewart. Book 4, Chapters 21 through 34. A grateful mind is attracted only by a sense of the beauty of its purpose. Do you wish to know this to be so? And that it is not bribed by ideas of profit there are two classes of grateful men a man is called grateful who has made some return for what he received this man may very possibly display himself in this character he has something to boast of to refer to we also call a man grateful who receives a benefit with good will and owes it to his benefactor with good will yet this man's gratitude lies concealed within his own mind what profit can accrue to him from this latent feeling? Yet this man, even though he is not able to do anything more than this, is grateful. He loves his benefactor. He feels his debt to him. He longs to repay his kindness. Whatever else you may find wanting, there is nothing wanting in the man. He is like a workman who has not the tools necessary for the practice of his craft, or like a trained singer whose voice cannot be heard through the noise of those who interrupt him. I wish to repay a kindness. After this, there still remains something for me to do, not in order that I may become grateful, but that I may discharge my debt. For in many cases, he who returns a kindness is ungrateful for it, and he who does not return it is grateful. Like all other virtues, the whole value of gratitude lies in the spirit in which it is done. So, if this man's purpose be loyal, any shortcomings on his part, Are not due to himself but to fortune a man who is silent may nevertheless be eloquent his hands may be folded or even bound and yet he may be strong just as a pilot is a pilot even when upon dry land because his knowledge is complete and there is nothing wanting to it though there may be obstacles which prevent his making use of it in the same way a man is grateful who only wishes to be so and who has no one but himself who can bear witness to his frame of mind i will go even further than this a man is sometimes grateful when he appears to be ungrateful when ill-judging report has declared him to be so such a man can look to nothing but his own conscience which can please him even when overwhelmed by calumny which contradicts the mob and common rumour relies only upon itself and though it beholds a vast crowd of the other way of thinking opposed to it does not count heads but wins by its own vote alone should it see its own good faith meet with the punishment due to treachery it will not descend from its pedestal and will remain superior to its punishment i have it says what i wished what i strove for i do not regret it nor shall i do so nor shall fortune however unjust she may be ever hear me say what did i want what now is the use of having meant well a good conscience is the value on the rack or in the fire though fire be applied to each of our limbs gradually encircle our living bodies and burst our heart yet if our heart be filled with a good conscience it will rejoice in the fire which will make its good faith shine before the world now let that question also which has been already stated be again brought forward why is it that we should wish to be grateful when we are dying that we should carefully weigh the various services rendered us by different individuals and carefully review our whole life that we may not seem to have forgotten any kindness nothing then remains for us to hope for yet when on the very threshold we wish to depart from human life as full of gratitude as possible there is in truth an immense reward for this thing merely in doing it and what is honourable has great power to attract men's minds which are overwhelmed by its beauty, and carried off their balance, enchanted by its brilliancy and splendor. Yet, argues our adversary, from it many advantages take their rise, and good men obtain a safer life and love, and the good opinion of the better class, while their days are spent in greater security when accompanied by innocence and gratitude. Indeed, nature would have been most unjust had she rendered this great blessing miserable, uncertain, and fruitless— but consider this point whether you would make your way to that virtue to which it is generally safe and easy to attain even though the path lay over rocks and precipices and were beset with fierce beasts and venomous serpents a virtue is none the less to be desired for its own sake because it has some adventurous profit connected with it indeed in most cases the noblest virtues are accompanied by many extraneous advantages but it is the virtues that lead the way and these merely follow in their train can we doubt that the climate of this abode of the human race is regulated by the motion of the sun and the moon in their orbits that our bodies are sustained the hard earth loosened excessive moisture reduced and the surly bonds of winter broken by the heat of the one and that crops are brought to ripeness by the effectual all-pervading warmth of the other that the fertility of the human race corresponds to the courses of the moon that the sun by its revolution marks out the year, and that the moon, moving in a smaller orbit, marks out the months? Yet setting aside all this, would not the sun be a sight worthy to be contemplated and worshipped, if he did no more than rise and set? Would not the moon be worth looking at, even if it passed uselessly through the heavens? Whose attention is not arrested by the universe itself, when by night it pours forth its fires and glitters with innumerable stars? who, while he admires them, thinks of their being of use to him. Look at that great company gliding over our heads, how they conceal their swift motion under the semblance of a fixed and immovable work. How much takes place in that night, which you make use of merely to mark and count your days. What a mass of events is being prepared in that silence! What a chain of destiny their unerring path is forming! Those which you imagine to be merely strewn about for ornament are really one and all at work? Nor is there any ground for your belief that only seven stars revolve, and that the rest remain still? We understand the orbits of a few, but countless divinities, further removed from our sight, come and go, while the greater part of those whom our sight reaches move in a mysterious manner and by an unknown path. What then? Would you not be captivated by the sight of such a stupendous work, even though it did not cover you, protect you? cherish you bring you into existence and penetrate you with its spirit though these heavenly bodies are of the very first importance to us and are indeed essential to our life yet we can think of nothing but their glorious majesty and similarly all virtue especially that of gratitude though it confers great advantages upon us does not wish to be loved for that reason it has something more in it than this and he who merely reckons it among useful things does not perfectly comprehend it a man you say is grateful because it is to his advantage to be so if this be the case then his advantage will be the measure of his gratitude virtue will not admit a covetous lover men must approach her with open purse the ungrateful man thinks i did wish to be grateful but i fear the expense and danger and insults to which i should expose myself i will rather consult my own interest men cannot be rendered grateful and ungrateful by the same line of reasoning their actions are as distinct as their purposes the one is ungrateful though it is wrong because it is in his interest the other is grateful although it is not in his interest because it is right it is our aim to live in harmony with the scheme of the universe and to follow the example of the gods yet in all their acts the gods have no object in view other than the act itself unless you suppose that they obtain a reward for their work in the smoke of burnt sacrifices and the scent of incense See what great things they do every day, how much they divide amongst us, with how great crops they fill the earth, how they move the seas with convenient winds to carry us to all shores, how by the fall of sudden showers they soften the ground, renew the dried up springs of fountains, and call them into new life by unseen supplies of water. All this they do without reward, without any advantage accruing to themselves. Let our line of conduct, if it would not depart from this model, preserve this direction and let us not act honorably because we are hired to do so we ought to feel ashamed that any benefit should have a price we pay nothing for the gods if our adversary may say you wish to imitate the gods then bestow benefits upon the ungrateful as well as the grateful for the sun rises upon the wicked as well as the good the seas are open even to pirates by this question he really asks whether a good man would bestow a benefit upon an ungrateful person knowing him to be ungrateful allow me here to introduce a short explanation that we may not be taken in by a deceitful question understand that according to the system of the stoics there are two classes of ungrateful persons one man is ungrateful because he is a fool a fool is a bad man a man who is bad possesses every vice therefore he is ungrateful in the same way we speak of all bad men as dissolute avaricious luxurious and spiteful not because each man has all these vices in any great or remarkable degree but because he might have them they are in him even though they may not be seen the second form of ungrateful person is he who is commonly meant by the term one who is inclined by nature to this vice in the case of him who has the vice of ingratitude just as he has every other a wise man will bestow a benefit because if he sets aside all such men there will be no one left for him to bestow it on as for the ungrateful man who habitually misapplies benefits and acts so by choice he will no more bestow a benefit upon him than he would lend money to a spendthrift or place a deposit in the hands of one who has already often refused to many persons to give up the property with which they had entrusted him we call some men timid because they are fools in this they are like the bad men who are steeped in all vices without distinction strictly speaking we call those persons timid who are alarmed even at unmeaning noises a fool possesses all vices but he is not equally inclined by nature to all one is prone to avarice another to luxury and another to insolence those persons therefore are mistaken who ask the stoics what do you say then is achilles timid aristides who received a name for justice is he unjust fabius who by delays retrieved the day is he rash does decius fear death is Mucius a traitor, Camillus a betrayer? We do not mean that all vices are inherent in all men in the same way, in which some special ones are noticeable in certain men. But we declare that the bad man and the fool possess all vices. We do not even acquit them of fear when they are rash, or of avarice when they are extravagant. Just as a man has all his senses, yet all men have not on that account, as keen aside as Lincius, so a man that is a fool has not all the vices in so active and vigorous a form as some persons have spine of them yet he has them all all vices exist in all of them yet all are not prominent in each individual one man is naturally prone to avarice another is the slave of wine a third of lust or if not yet enslaved by these passions he is so fashioned by nature that this is the direction in which his character would probably lead him therefore to return to my original proposition every bad man is ungrateful because he has the seeds of every villainy in him but he alone is rightly so called who is naturally inclined to this vice upon such a person as this therefore i shall not bestow a benefit one who has betrothed his daughter to an ill-tempered man from whom many women have sought a divorce would be held to have neglected her interests a man would be thought a bad father if he entrusted the care of his patrimony To one who had lost his own family estate, and it would be the act of a madman to make a will naming as the guardian of one's son a man who had already defrauded other wards. So will that man be said to bestow benefits as badly as possible who chooses ungrateful persons in whose hands they will perish. The gods, it may be said, bestow much, even upon the ungrateful, but what they bestow they had prepared for the good, and the bad have their share as well, because they cannot be separated it is better to benefit the bad as well for the sake of benefiting the good than to stint the good for fear of benefiting the bad therefore the gods have created all that you speak of the day the sun the alternations of winter and summer the transitions through spring and autumn from one extreme to the other showers drinking fountains and regularly blowing winds for the use of all alike they could not accept individuals from the enjoyment of them a king bestows honours upon those who deserve them but he gives largesse to the undeserving as well the thief the bearer of false witness and the adulterer alike receive the public grant of corn and all are placed on the register without any examination as to character good and bad men share alike in all the other privileges which a man receives because he is a citizen not because he is a good man god likewise has bestowed certain gifts upon the entire human race from which no one is shut out indeed it could not be arranged that the wind which was fair for good men should be foul for bad ones while it is for the good of all men that the seas should be open for traffic and the kingdom of mankind be enlarged nor could any law be appointed for the showers so that they should not fall upon the fields of wicked and evil men some things are given to all alike cities are founded for good and bad men alike works of genius reach by publication even unworthy men medicine points out the means of health even to the wicked no one has checked the making up of whole remedies for fear that the undeserving should be healed you must seek for examination and preference of individuals in such things as are bestowed separately upon those who are thought to deserve them not in these which admit the mob to share them without distinction there is a great difference between not shutting a man out and choosing him even a thief receives justice even murderers enjoy the blessings of peace even those who have plundered others can recover their own property assassins and private bravos are defended against the common enemy by the city wall the laws protect even those who have sinned most deeply against them there are some things which no man could obtain unless they were given to all you need not therefore cavil about those matters in which all mankind is invited to share as for things which men receive or not at my discretion i shall not bestow them upon one whom i know to be ungrateful shall we then argues he not give our advice to an ungrateful man when he is at a loss or refuse him a drink of water when he is thirsty or not show him the path when he has lost his way or would you do him these services and yet not give him anything here i will draw a distinction or at any rate endeavour to do so a benefit is a useful service yet all useful service is not a benefit for some are so trifling as to not claim the title of benefits to produce a benefit two conditions must concur first the importance of the thing given for some things fall short of the dignity of a benefit whoever called a hunch of bread a benefit or a farthing dole tossed to a beggar or the means of lighting a fire yet sometimes these are of more value than the most costly benefits still their cheapness detracts from their value even when by the exigency of time they are rendered essential the next condition which is the most important of all must necessarily be present, namely, that I should confer the benefit for the sake of him whom I wish to receive it, that I should judge him worthy of it, bestow it of my own free will, and receive pleasure from my gift, none of which conditions are present in the cases of which we have now just spoken, for we do not bestow such things as those upon these who are worthy of them, but we give them carelessly, as trifles, and do not give them so much to a man as to humanity i shall not deny that sometimes i would give even to the unworthy out of respect for others as for instance in competition for public offices some of the basest of men are preferred on account of their noble birth to industrious men of no family and that for good reasons for the memory of great virtues is sacred and more men will take pleasure in being good if the respect felt for good men does not cease with their lives what made cicero's son a consul except his father what lately brought Cinna out of the camp of the enemy, and raised him to the consulate? See Seneca on Clemency, Book 1, Chapter 9. What made Sextus Pompeius and the other Pompey consuls, unless it was the greatness of one man, who once was raised so high, that by his very fall he sufficiently exalted all his relatives? What lately made Fabius Persicus, a member of more than one college of priests, though even profligates avoided his kiss? Was it not Veracosis and Allobrogicus? and the three hundred who to serve their country blocked the invaders path with the force of a single family it is our duty to respect the virtuous not only when present with us but also when removed from our sight as they have made it their study not to bestow their benefits upon one age alone but to leave them existing after they themselves have passed away so let us not confine our gratitude to a single age if a man has begotten great men he deserves to receive benefits whatever he himself may be he has given us worthy men if a man descends from glorious ancestors whatever he himself may be let him find refuge under the shadow of his ancestry as mean places are lighted up by the rays of the sun so let the degenerate shine in the light of their forefathers in this place my liberalis i wish to speak in defence of the gods we sometimes say what could providence mean by placing aridius upon the throne do you suppose that the crown was given to aridius nay it was given to his father and his brother why did heaven bestow the empire of the world upon caius caesar the most bloodthirsty of mankind who was wont to order blood to be shed in his presence as freely as if he wished to drink of it why do you suppose that it was given to him it was given to his father germanicus to his grandfather his great-grandfather and to others before them no less illustrious men though they lived as private citizens on a footing of equality with others why when you yourself were making mamercus scarus consul were you ignorant of his vices did he himself conceal them did he wish to appear decent did you admit a man who was so openly filthy to the fasces and the tribunal yes it was because you were thinking of the great old scarus the chief of the senate and were unwilling that his descendant should be despised it is probable that the gods act in the same manner that they show greater indulgence to some for the sake of their parents and their ancestry And to others for the sake of their children and grandchildren and a long line of descendants beyond them for they know the whole course of their works and have constant access to the knowledge of all that shall hereafter pass through their hands these things come upon us from the unknown future and the gods have foreseen and are familiar with the events by which we are startled let these men says providence be kings because their ancestors were good kings because they regarded righteousness and temperance as the highest rule of life because they did not devote the state to themselves, but devoted themselves to the state. Let these others reign, because some one of their ancestors before them was a good man, who bore a soul superior to fortune, who preferred to be conquered rather than to conquer in civil strife, because it was more to the advantage of the state. See Martinius Gertz, Studia Critica in Ani Seneca Dialogos, published in 1874, page 59 it was not possible to make a sufficient return to him for this during so long a time let this other therefore out of regard for him be chief of the people not because he knows how or is capable but because the other has earned it for him this man is misshapen loathsome to look upon and will disgrace the insignia of his office men will presently blame me calling me blind and reckless not knowing upon whom i am confirming what ought to be given to the greatest and noblest of men but i know that in giving this dignity to one man i am paying an old debt to another how should the men of today know that ancient hero who so resolutely avoided the glory which was pressed upon him who went into danger with the same look which other men wear when they have escaped from danger who never regarded his own interest as apart from that of the commonwealth where you ask or who is he whence does he come you know him not it lies with me to balance the debit and credit account in such cases as these I know how much i owe to each man i repay some after a long interval others beforehand according as my opportunities and the exigencies of my social system permit i shall therefore sometimes bestow somewhat upon an ungrateful man though not for his own sake what argues he if you do not know whether your man be ungrateful or grateful will you wait until you know or will you not lose the opportunity of bestowing a benefit to wait is a long business for as plato says It is hard to form an opinion about the human mind. Not to wait is rash. To this objector we shall answer that we never should wait for absolute knowledge of the whole case, since the discovery of truth is an arduous task, but should proceed in the direction in which truth appeared to direct us. All our actions proceed in this direction. It is thus that we sow seed, that we sail upon the sea, that we serve in the army, marry, and bring up children. The result of all these actions is uncertain, so we take that course from which we believe the good results may be hoped for. Who can guarantee a harvest to the sower, a harbour to the sailor, victory to the soldier, a modest wife to the husband, dutiful children to the father? We proceed in the way in which reason, not absolute truth, directs us. Wait, do nothing that will not turn out well, form no opinion until you have searched but the truth, and your life will pass in absolute inaction." since it is only the appearance of truth not truth itself which leads me hither or thither i shall confer benefits upon the man who apparently will be grateful many circumstances argues he may arise which enable a bad man to steal into the place of a good one or may cause a good man to be disliked as though he were a bad man for appearances to which we trust are deceptive who denies it yet i can find nothing else by which to guide my opinion I must follow these tracks in my search after truth for i have none more trustworthy than these i will take pains to weigh the value of these with all possible care and will not hastily give my assent to them for instance in battle it may happen that my hand may be deceived by some mistake into turning my weapon against my comrade and sparing my enemy as though he were on my side but this will not often take place and will not take place through any fault of mine for my object is to strike the enemy and defend my countryman if i know a man to be ungrateful i shall not bestow a benefit upon him but the man has passed himself off as a good man by some trick and has imposed upon me well this is not at all the fault of the giver who gave under the impression that his friend was grateful suppose asks he that you were to promise to bestow a benefit and afterwards were to learn that your man was ungrateful would you bestow it or not if you do you do wrong knowingly for you give to one to whom you ought not if you refuse you do wrong likewise for you do not give to him to whom you promised to give this case upsets your constancy and the proud assurance of yours that the wise man never regrets his actions or amends what he has done or alters his plans the wise man never changes his plans while the conditions under which he formed them remain the same therefore he never feels regret because at the time nothing better than what he did could have been done nor could any better decision have been arrived at than that which was made yet he begins everything with the saving clause if nothing shall occur to the contrary this is the reason why we say that all goes well with him and that nothing happens contrary to his expectation because he bears in mind the possibility of something happening to prevent the realization of his projects it is an imprudent confidence to trust that fortune will be on our side the wise man considers both sides. He knows how great is the power of errors, how uncertain human affairs are, how many obstacles there are to the success of plans. Without committing himself, he awaits the doubtful and capricious issue of events, and weighs certainty of purpose against uncertainty of result. Here also, however, he is protected by that saving clause, without which he decides upon nothing, and begins nothing. Into section 12 Recording by Olivia.